Well, Lord willing, this week we'll finish uh, Deuteronomy 4. If you haven't been in here with us, uh, this has been, the, this chapter, the whole thing, I've, I've really enjoyed the study of Deuteronomy. I hope it's been a blessing for you guys as well. We're at the end of the first exposition of Moses. So if, you know, pull it way back, Deuteronomy has three expositions of Moses on the plains of Moab, right to the second generation of Israel, right before they cross the Jordan and go in and begin to take the promised land that God uh, has uh, given to, uh, to them because of a promise he made to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so they're on the plains of Moab. Moses is using these three sermons to prepare them to go in and to take the land. And so this first sermon is basically Deuteronomy 1 through 4. Uh, and in this sermon, it's really um, what God has done for Israel, how they got to where they are now. He's recalling the history of, uh, of, of what has happened recently from the exodus of Egypt all the way up until this point. Uh, and we looked at chapter 1. He basically told them you know, how they got from Mount Sinai, Horeb, out in the, uh, in, in the desert, of, uh, the, in the wilderness of Midian, uh, to Kadesh Barnea where the uh, first generation sent out spies, and then the spies decided it was, it was too hard to take the land. They brought back a bad report, and the first generation said, we can't do this. And because of that, they were, they were, uh, uh, God swore that none of them would enter the promised land other than Caleb and Joshua. And so that was chapter 1. Chapter 2 and chapter 3 uh, focused on uh, the second generation. After they crossed the brook Zered and the first generation was gone, the second generation then took all of the land from uh, Sion and from Og on the uh, east side of the Jordan. And so they've inherited all that land now. And the Reubenites and the Gadites, I believe it is, and the uh, half the tribe of Manasseh have now settled there. Um, and now they're going to continue to go with their brothers to take the rest of the land. But uh, that was what that was all about. But the big point there was these were nations that were way too big, way too powerful for the Israelites to, to take. And they watched God deliver them. They watched God give them all the kingdoms of all that land. And there were many, many cities, fortified walls, huge people, and Israel took it. And so the point that Moses made in those chapters is remember what you have experienced and seen and submit yourself to the Lord. Trust and obey him. He's the one that will give you victory. And you must do this as you go into the land. And so then chapter 4 is really at the very end of the first sermon. It's an exhortation to these Israelites, to the second generation, to continue trusting him, to continue obeying, submitting to him as they cross over, and he will continue to be faithful to his word. And so we looked at the, the first 24 verses two weeks ago, and I, we called it an exhortation to obey. Uh, it's the very end of, like I said, the first sermon, the, the end of the first half of the, uh, the first half of the end. And, and really, these were the main things that I said we pulled out of it, and, and Moses is telling the, the second generation of Israel here. He's basically telling their, their success in going in, taking possession of the land, um, and living when they're in the land is submission to him. They have to listen to what he says, keep his word in their heart, and follow, obey. And he says that in, in um, a number of different ways. Uh, he tells them to listen and perform, to not add or take away, to, to keep everything that he's told them, uh, to, to do it, to keep and to do, to give heed to yourself and to your soul, to not forget, to make them known to your children, to their children, so that they will do. Um, uh, to te- uh, he got, uh, Moses said that the Lord taught him so that he would teach them so that they may perform. He tells them to watch themselves carefully, to watch themselves and not forget. It's, a, it's, it's over and over and over. The message is listen to what God said. Keep it in your mind and heart and then do it. And so these are the things that we pulled out of it, that success is dependent on their submission to the Lord. 
uh, their obedience, once they get in there, is going to validate the message that they have. They've been given the law of God. They've been given the word of God. And their submission and obedience to it is going to prove to the nations around them that their God is the only true God. And the word that they have comes from him. He tells them if they respect his word, that will have generational effects. And if they neglect his word, that will have generational effects. What they do, whether or not they teach their children to teach their children, will have generational effects on whether or not they remain in the land and whether or not the Lord blesses them while they're in the land. He tells them to guard themselves from idols because they have idols in their pockets right now as he's telling them this message. And they're not going to get rid of them when they cross over the Jordan. And he's telling them, you got to. All right. So you're going to see this over and over and over throughout Judges or Joshua and then Judges. Uh, But he's telling them, you've got to guard yourself from idolatry. The heart is prone to idols. The people in the land are serving idols. And Israel itself has already not forsaken their idols in the way that God has commanded them. And he tells them not to forget the covenant that God made. God made a covenant to Abraham. He will be faithful to his covenant. But that covenant is now attached to this uh, Mosaic covenant that Israel must obey him. If they do not, then there's going to be the curse that will come upon them. And if they do, there's going to be the blessing that God gives to them. So all that being said, that leads right into what we're going to talk about today. Um, But when you look at that first first 24 verses, one of the greatest conclusions and and, and the best application, I guess uh, the thing that really drives it, because over and over and over he says, uh, listen, keep, and do. Uh, but ch- chapter 4, verse 1, I thought I wrote it down, but I didn't. But you can look at it uh, in, your, in your Bibles. But Deuteronomy 4, 1, he says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform so that, purpose statement, you may live, so that you may go in, and so that you may take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. And so, again, that's kind of the driving verse. And we're going to see at the very end of this chapter, he's going to say it one more time, rearticulate the whole thing. It's like a summary statement of the whole chapter. But that is the main driving point. All that being said, that plays right into what we're going to talk about today. Because what we're going to talk about today in verses 25 through 40, if we make it that far, is, uh, is the Lord is going to reveal to the Israelites their future failure to keep his commands and his eternal plan of fulfilling his promise to Abraham, not based on their faithfulness, but based on his faithfulness. And it's going to be attached to something that we're going to talk about, something new, uh, and what we already know as the redemption and the reconciliation that can only be provided through Jesus Christ, who will come to do the work that, that, uh, that, that, God, that God has designed in order for Israel to be saved. So all that being said, uh, this is kind of how we're going to break it up today. Uh, Verses 25 through 31 is really a prophecy of the latter days, and we'll talk about that. So this is things to come. Uh, And then uh, the second part is uh, verses 32 through 40 is a reminder of the former days. So it's just one last reminder of where you came from and why you're here and how you even became a nation and got to the place that you're at. And then finally, and we probably won't make it to this last little part, he talks about the cities of refuge. Then I imagine we'll start that next week because this first point is the, the majority of what we'll talk about today because it's, it's, there's so much packed in, verses 25 through 31. So if you got your Bible, open it with us to Deuteronomy 4. If you don't have it, then I've got, the, I got it up here. But it's always good to look at it yourself and make your own little notes and highlight and mark things. And I don't know if you do that in your Bible, but mine looks like a coloring book. Let me <laughs> All right, so let me read this, and then we'll talk about what it means. So right after he tells them 
uh, what we just talked about, to listen, to obey, uh, to, uh, to submit to him. He says here in Deuteronomy 4, 25 to 28, he says, When you become the father of children and children's children and have remained long in the land, so we're talking about future, we're talking about way down in the future, and act corruptly, uh, he says, and make an idol in the form of anything, and do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will surely perish quickly from the land where you're going, over the Jordan to possess it. You shall not live, in, uh, live long on it, but will be utterly destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples. And you will be left few in number among the nations, where the Lord drives you. This is all the Lord's doing. There you will serve gods, the work of man's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear, uh, nor eat, nor smell. So immediately after telling them to listen, to keep his word, and to obey his word, and they must do that in order to go in and to take possession and to live, The Lord, through Moses, tells the Israelites the impending idolatry and the absolute decimation that will occur at his own hand. So he's telling them, this is what will happen. Um, Judges 2, 6 through 10, uh, we begin to see the uh, the immediacy of this prophecy. Actually, in Judges uh, uh, 2, 6 through 10, it says, When Joshua had dismissed the people, this is after they've taken the land, uh, oh, I only have verse 10 up here. But it says in verse 6, When he dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went each to his inheritance. So they've taken the land, and they went to possess the land. It says, But the people served, I'm sorry, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua. So there was a time where they were worshiping the Lord, serving the Lord, doing what the Lord called them to do. Um, and they said, Who had seen all the great work which the Lord had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in timnah Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount uh, Gash. And then it says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them, who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. This is a sad beginning to their inheriting the land. It begins by whatever generation this is. I don't know if this is the very next generation or the generation after that. But after Joshua and the elders die, there is a lack of passing this on to the next generation. Um, And immediately there arises a generation that does not know the Lord. And and if you've read the book of Judges, I mean, it's, it's just downhill from there. By the time we're done with the book of Judges, which is not that long, about 300, 350 years tops, I mean, Israel's at a place of absolute anarchy, absolute, I mean, they're, they're, they're worse than the people that they took the land from. It didn't take long, and it's sad. God raised up judges during that time to, to basically bring Israel repentance in certain regions at certain times, but the nation as a whole uh, never had a, a, a time of repentance and, uh, and following the Lord until Samuel and then really David. And so it was just a, it's a sad beginning of a whole history of rebellion against the Lord. Now, Israel's this, this whole thing, though, is really almost like an outworking of Israel's name. Israel is called, the, the name Israel means to strive or to wrestle or to fight with God. In Genesis 32, 28, uh, God tells Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. 
And so when you even read Israel's name, their name itself is almost like an outworking of what's going to happen to the nation. They will prevail. Uh, Hosea 12, 3 through 4 talks about this as well. It says, in the womb, he, Jacob, took his brother's heel. And in his maturity, he contended with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and he sought favor. And so really beginning in Judges and cyclically occurring throughout the history of Israel until the deportation of the northern kingdom of Israel by Assyria in 722 B.C. and the deportation of the southern kingdom of Judah by Babylon in 586 B.C. and one last time of that small remnant being kicked out of the land in 70 A.D. by Rome. To this day, they are still scattered among the nations in the wilderness of the world, and the Lord is doing exactly what he told them he would do right here in Deuteronomy 4. But there must be a future, and there will be a future. There has to be a future, or God's word isn't true. And so, all that being said, the, what we're seeing here is Moses warning them of what will come, the blessing and the curse. Uh, Israel was clearly warned already. They will be warned again what the, uh, in the future. And they're warned to listen, to keep, and to do. And if they don't, then basically what God says in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, we'll talk about this when we get to Deuteronomy. In Leviticus 26, he told the fathers of this generation, Deuteronomy 28, he'll tell this generation, if you obey, then there will be the blessing. And if not, God pronounced the curse uh, on them. We've already seen, well, I mean, we didn't see it. We read through it quickly. But in Leviticus 26, let me say it this way. The second generation has already heard this. Uh, this was given to their fathers, and, and Moses is going to re-articulate this again at the very end of Deuteronomy, uh, or the very end of the second sermon, and we'll talk about it when we get there. But this is what he said in Leviticus 26. He says, if you do not obey me, and you do not carry out all these commandments, if instead you reject my statutes, and if your soul abhors my ordinances, so as not to carry out my commandments, so to break my covenant, I in turn will do this to you. And then he goes through a whole list of what the curse will look like as it's played out uh, in, their, in their nation, which is exactly what happened to their nation. But here's just a couple of points that I want to make that play into what we're talking about today. In verse 17, he says, I will set my face against you so that you will be struck down before your enemies, and those who hate you will rule over you. Again, if you know anything about the history of Israel, this is exactly what happened to Israel throughout the majority of, of their, their history uh, in the land. And then verse 20, or chapter 26, 31 to 33, he says, I will lay waste to your cities as well and will make your sanctuaries desolate. And I will not smell your soothing aroma, so your worship will be worthless. I will make the land desolate so that your enemies who settle in it will be appalled over it. Uh, and you, however, I will scatter among the nations and will draw out a sword after you as your land becomes desolate and your cities become uh, a waste. Is that, yeah, become waste. So the causes, um, I'm sorry, the curse will be reiterated in Deuteronomy 28, right before the next warning about the future disobedience of the nation, which is, again, I mean, he, he warns them here, and then he tells them about the future deliverance. He warns them in Deuteronomy 28, and then immediately tells them about the future deliverance that will happen, must happen, and, and he gives hints both times at how it will happen. Uh, we know more about it, and we'll talk about that soon. Uh, we know who it will happen through and what he will do and how it will all take place based on future prophecy. Uh, but right now, they know for sure if they go in and they do not listen and they don't keep his word and they don't obey, that they will not succeed, that they will die and they will be repelled from the land. The land will spew them out. But 
he says here in verses 25 through 28, I'm sorry, this is the very end of it. He says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you. You will perish quickly from the land. You will not live long on it. The Lord will scatter you. You will be left few in number among the nations, and there they will worship other gods. And so it's a, it's a sad beginning, and it's a, it's a warning uh, to the second generation. And, and I know they were all probably sitting there thinking, we will not do that. And, and you're going to see them in Joshua actually articulate that as they're holding idols in their right hand and then swearing that they will follow God with their lips. But again, remember, this was all written for us as an example to us so that we take the warning from Israel. We do not walk in the same path that they walk. Don't think yourself any better. Look at it and go, I need to get rid of idols in my life so I don't repeat the same mistakes. Yes. Well, it is the Mosaic Covenant. Not Abrahamic. Not the Abrahamic Covenant. But their obedience to the Mosaic Covenant has to do with the outworking of the Abrahamic Covenant. Their obedience to this covenant has everything to do with whether or not they stay in the land. But then God is going to send Jesus Christ, who will make a new covenant, a better covenant, a greater covenant, like Hebrews talks about. And it is through Christ and what he does in that covenant that will, that will bring about the, the fulfillment of the Abrahamic Covenant. That's right. Which was unconditional. This one's conditional. This is conditional. And it's all about the land. It is about the land. Whether or not they can stay there. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So check this out. So this is what he says next, though. After telling them that they will perish from the land, that they will disobey him, that they will not stay there long, and he will scatter them amongst the nations, he then tells them the rest of the future, which is wonderful. Look at this. In verses 29 to 31, he says, but from here, after you've been scattered amongst all the nations and after all the curses come upon you, he says, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and with all your soul. He says, when you are in distress, that's important, and all these things have come upon you, in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. For the Lord your God, here's the faithfulness of the Lord, is a compassionate God. He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he swore to them. Speaking specifically of the Abrahamic covenant. So God, after telling them that they will fail, that they will be kicked out of the land, that they will lose their inheritance for a time, says to them, but from there... Not only will you seek me and find me, and I will make myself known to you and bring you, but they will, he will bring them back. During their time of distress, they will return, and they will not be destroyed. He will not forget the covenant. He can't do that because he's faithful to his word. This is huge. The story of Scripture as a whole is the revelation of the kingdom of God from the very beginning to the very end. That's what Scripture is all about. And the revelation of that king who will come to, to be the king of God's kingdom that will never end. And so from the very beginning to the very end, that is the story of Scripture. The chosen king is Jesus Christ. And Scripture reveals that this king, Jesus Christ, will rule in Jerusalem on David's throne in the land of Israel for a thousand years. The story of Israel is interwoven into the story of Christ. And you can't pull Israel out of that and try to tell the story of Christ and God's kingdom without the nation of Israel in the land on the throne of David um, in, in his house forever. And that includes the repentance, remembrance, and return of the nation of Israel itself. Again, in verses 29 through 30, he says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God. You will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. 
when you are in distress and all these things have come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. So the rejection and the future redemption of Israel is all about God's faithfulness to his word to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his faithfulness to bring them back. Again, in verse 31 there, he says, uh, he will not fail you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant with your fathers which he swore to them. It reminds me of 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, which is, a, if you go look at 2 Timothy, it's like an early Christian hymn. And it says, it is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure... He, uh, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And that's it. God cannot deny himself. He cannot deny his word. He will do exactly what he said he would do for Israel because he is faithful and cannot deny himself. The future redemption of Israel is part of the inscrutable plan of God. It's beyond our comprehension outside of what he's revealed to us. Even how that plays out, we're still looking at it. We know what he's going to do, and at the same time going, how in the world is he going to pull it off? But he does, because, but that's part of his mind and his, his nature. And we'll talk about that when we get to Deuteronomy 29. In Deuteronomy 29, it's the same thing. He talks about the future of Israel. At the very end, Deuteronomy 29, 29, he says, the things revealed to you belong to you. The things that aren't, those are mine. And you've got to trust him in the things that you don't know and you don't see. But what is revealed, we have to also trust him that he will do what he says. And so his plans will happen. And it's secured by the immutable nature of his word. And then I need another uh, utable word. So I said the indisputable faithfulness of his character. God will do what he said because he has to. So think about this. The whole rest of the story reveals both the faithlessness of Israel and the faithfulness of God. And almost every book of the Old Testament reveals or foretells the faithfulness of of, of, of um, or, I'm sorry, the faithlessness of Israel and God's faithfulness to do exactly what he swore he would do, uh, both in his retribution towards them, his rejection of them, and his redemption of the nation of Israel. The greatness, and this is neat too, the greatness of Israel's salvation, because again, right now, the majority of Christians don't believe in a future restoration of the nation of Israel, because I think it's beyond their comprehension of how God could do that. But I think the greatness of their salvation corresponds directly with the greatness of their continued offense against God. They almost seem unsavable, unredeemable, but God has to. And even if it blows your mind, well, that's what God does, right? I mean, he parts seas, he raises the dead, he blows our minds all the time. We have to trust what he says. It reminds me of, of Luke seven forty seven, where, you know, he, the, 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 the woman comes and, and washes the feet of Jesus, and then um, Simon, the Pharisee, didn't do any of that stuff. And he, tell, and he tells Simon that her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, and he who is forgiven little loves little. It reminds me of the story of Hosea, how Hosea you know, goes out and finds Gomer and brings her back after all of her harlotry and all of that. And God's saying that. He loves Israel. He loves Israel, and Israel is his bride. And he will redeem her, even though she seems filthy, dirty, and unredeemable. God will take care of his bride. Uh, uh, Eugene Merrill, in his commentary, said this, Once more, the conditional nature of the Sinai covenant or the Mosaic covenant is oriented to the unconditional nature of the Abrahamic. Israel, as the seed of Abraham, constituted an indispensable element of the promise, and for that reason could never fail to exist before God. For him to forget Israel 
would constitute a violation of the oath he swore to their fathers. Israel exists right now as a scattered nation in the wilderness of the world, but they still exist. And God will bring them to the land, and they will exist as a nation forever. And there's many, many things in Scripture that point towards that and make us have to wrestle with the future redemption of Israel. One of the things here we learn in this verse is redemption is going to occur in the latter days. It's connected to these latter days. And you see the latter days over and over in Scripture. They're all about prophecy, and they're all about end times. Uh, the redemption is going to occur in the latter days when Israel's in distress. So I think this verse helps us to understand a little bit of the timing of when their redemption will happen. He says, when you are in distress and all these things have come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord and listen to his voice. Jeremiah 30 verse 7 uh, is right in the middle or the very beginning of the, the, all of these prophecies of the new covenant and what God's going to do uh, for Israel and for Judah through the new covenant that he'll ratify through what we know, his son Jesus Christ on the cross. But in Jeremiah 37, he says this, Alas, for that day is great, there is none like it. And, and it is the time of Jacob's distress, but he will be saved from it. Here in Jeremiah 30, he's talking about what we call the tribulation. He's talking about the very end. When the judgment of God is being poured out on the earth, that there's nothing like it. There's no day that has come before or after that will, that, will, that will rival it. And it's during the time of tribulation. It's called Jacob's distress in the Old Testament. The tribulation in Jeremiah 30 is called Jacob's distress, Israel's distress. And it says that he will be saved uh, from it. So during their distress, during this time of judgment, during the day of the Lord, during this tribulation, Israel will repent and seek the Lord. When he says here that they will return, it's the word that means repent. It means they will repent. They will be restored. They will turn back. That's the whole point. During their distress, they must repent, and they will repent. Um, he says days. Um, he says this will all happen in the latter days. The latter days mean days that are coming. Those are days in the future. Jeremiah 30 goes on to talk about this day uh, in the latter days. He says, thus says the Lord, behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob uh, and have compassion on his dwelling places. And the city will be rebuilt on its ruin and the palace will stand on its rightful place. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and until he has accomplished the intent of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand this. Again, there is a day coming where all this will be manifest and made very clear. We'll see it happen. The Israelites will know that it's happening. They will repent during that time. But it's going to happen after the, the, the fierce anger of the Lord comes. He performs all that he said he's going to do, both against Israel for their idolatry and their harlotry, and to the world for its, its idolatry and wickedness, until the intent of God's heart has been perfectly played out. Um, they, and, uh, they, will, they will eventually be restored or repent or return to the land. God has to do what he says he will do. And this all happens in the latter days. Again, there's a lot of prophecies about the latter days in the Old Testament. Daniel 2 is another great one. And it connects both the coming of Christ's kingdom uh, to these latter days in the future repentance of Israel. In Daniel 2, it says, uh, there's a God in heaven who reveals these mysteries that he made known to Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. I'm just putting pieces together so we don't read the whole story. But basically, there's a stone that has struck the statue that became a great mountain, filled the whole earth. This is the, the kingdom of Christ and of God that comes and fills the whole earth in the latter days. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. That kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put to end all the kingdoms, but it itself 
uh, it will itself endure forever. The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future, so the dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. In the future, what we know, we know now is Jesus Christ will come. He will set up his kingdom. He will reign on David's throne in the land of Israel. He'll bring the people of Israel back. The, the nation itself will repent, and God will rule and reign in a kingdom that will never end, that he will set up, that will fill the whole earth. Um, and uh, that's just the future of the latter, that those are the prophecies of the latter days. There's more, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip through to Romans 11. In the Old Testament, you see uh, a few more times him talking about the days in the future, the latter days, the prophecy to come. There's always an uh, everlasting kingdom. There's always a restoration of the land and of the people. Second uh, Peter talks about it as well. But what you're gonna, the big picture is this. In the latter days, there's going to be worldwide judgment. In the latter days, there's going to be redemption and repentance and restoration of Israel. That is the continued story. And Romans 11, I feel like, is the best New Testament. Romans 11, I'm sorry, Romans 9 through 11 is Paul explaining what is happening right now during the church age, what is happening currently in this time, and God's continued uh, future restoration and redemption of the people of Israel. In Romans 11, 11 through 12, and 25 through 27, Paul says, I say then, did they, Israel, did not stumble so as to fall, did they? He says, may it never be. That can't happen. They can't stumble to fall away completely to where they are replaced and will not have a future. But by their transgression, here's what's happening now, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Part of the redemption of the church is to, to bring about jealousy of Israel as the church is already partaking of the new covenant promises and they're being withheld from the nation as a whole. Now, again, Jews are being saved right now as a part of the church, but Israel as a nation is not in receiving any of the blessing of the new covenant promises that God has given to the church, but they must because the new covenant was made to Israel and Judah. And it has land implications and throne implications. And, and, and it has to be attached to the nation itself. So part of us being grafted in is making them jealous, jealous to the point of eventual repentance. Now, if their transgression is riches to the world and their failure is riches to the Gentiles, which it is, how much more will, they, will their fulfillment be? He says, for I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. For what reason? So that you, being the Gentiles and being the church, are not wise in your own estimation. That's what I think all replacement theology is. It's just the pride of the church. I do. He says that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. And so all Israel will be saved. We talked about that at the very beginning of Deuteronomy 1. All Israel is always referring to the, the national Israel. It's, it's referring to the nation as a whole. It doesn't mean every single soul that comes from the line of Abraham will be born again, but it means the nation will be restored. All Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, and look at this, we know exactly who this is now. We're in the New Testament. The deliverer will come from Zion. This is Jesus Christ. He will remove ungodliness from Israel, from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So he's referring directly to the new covenant. And that is what this prophecy is talking about here. He says, you will seek the Lord. You will find him. You will search for him with all your heart and soul. That's only possible with the Lord doing something to their heart to make it possible for them to seek him and for them to know him and to, and to, and to come after him. And he says, it's going to happen when you're in distress during the tribulation. All these things have come upon you. The curse that we just talked about in the latter days, you will repent. You will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. 
Why? Not because you're awesome, not because you're so good, but because the Lord is a compassionate God, and he will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant with your fathers which he swore to them. It must happen. It must take place. When he says you will return, I've already kind of hit on this, but again, this is the, to, to return translates the Hebrew uh, verb sub, which means to repent in situations like the one described here. Together, uh, I don't know, I must have gotten this from a commentary. I did, from Eugene Merrill's commentary again. Together uh, with, the, uh, with obey, the idea is one of repudiation of idolatry and other sins that, that brought about the dispersion and a total acceptance of the claims of sovereignty of God against who they've rebelled. Not to be overlooked here is the absence of any conditionality. The text is clear that it is not a matter of if Israel returns and obeys, but when. Repentance is obviously a matter of free will, but the biblical witness is unanimous that the impetus, impetus of to repent is something God himself will plant within his people in order to encourage and enable them to return to him and to the land. In other words, they must repent. They must forsake their idols. They must do that, but he will make all that possible, and he will make sure that it happens because he's faithful to his word. Now, all that being said, this is where... I could talk about this forever, and we could go on forever talking about the future of Israel. I'm going to give you a few snippets, and then we're going to revisit this in Deuteronomy 29:30 because those both those chapters, the whole third sermon of Moses is all about this. All right, so this is like the uh, the preview or the the teaser, okay? And then it gets great when we get to Deuteronomy 29:30. In Deuteronomy 30, three times. He, uh, he talks about Israel repenting, turning back, returning, obeying the Lord. It's the exact same words used in Jeremiah 4, uh, verses 1, uh, Jeremiah 15, 19, Jeremiah 24, 7, to talk about their future repentance. Uh, I'm going to lead you down a few of these real quick. Um, actually, I didn't put it up there. Jeremiah 24, uh, verses 6 through 7. The Lord says, and again, this is beginning to talk about this new covenant that's going to come. He says, I will set my eyes on, on them, on Israel, for good. I will bring them again to this land. And this is right when they're being kicked out of the land. They're about to come under the judgment of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar is going to kick them out. And he says, I will build them up and not overthrow them. Again, so that can't be their, the remnant returning and, and then they get kicked out again in 70 AD because that doesn't make sense. He says, I will give them a heart to know me, again, which has not happened. Uh, for I am the Lord. They will be my people. I will be their God. They will return to me with their whole heart. In Ezekiel Eight times in Ezekiel 33, right before he promises the new covenant given to Israel, he talks about them repenting or returning to him. Eight times. In 90 times in the Old Testament, this whole repent or return or turn or turn away or be converted, it's, it's translated all those different ways, but this verb is used for Israel. 90 times. They will be converted. They will turn away. They will return. They will turn back. They will come to him. They must. He says it over and over and over and over. There must and will be a national repentance and redemption of Israel. And there's two key chapters, like I said. Romans 9 through 11 in the New Testament, I think, is the best overall description of what's happening now and the future that must happen. But in Ezekiel 20, this is the coolest one. In Ezekiel 20, he, like, gives the whole prophecy of Israel in one chapter. So check this out. In Ezekiel 20, 4 through in the, this is what happened in the land of Egypt. So he's taking them from, from Egypt to the wilderness, to the plains of Moab, to the current condition, to the future. All right, And this is all in Ezekiel. This is before all of this occurred, but some of it has occurred. This is history. So in the land of Egypt, he says, make known to them the abominations of their fathers. Now, again, 
context, the, they have already been kicked out of the land. These are the people that are, this is Israel that's in exile in Babylon that Ezekiel's talking to. So they've lost the land. There's not going to be another king on the throne until Jesus Christ sits on it. Because even when they return, there is no throne, there is no king, there is no palace. There's a temple, but that temple's just a remnant, just a shell of what it used to be. The glory of God does not fill the new temple. So there's many things that don't happen in that little remnant return in 70 AD. Here, you have him telling the whole story of what's going to happen. He says, make known to them the abominations of their fathers. Say to them, thus says the Lord God, on the day when I chose Israel and swore to the descendants of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt. Again, this is through the plagues and through all the things that Moses was doing in the time of Pharaoh, so right before the Exodus. He says, when I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God, on that day I swore to them. Now again, I said this to my kids here recently. We were doing First John here at the school, and I was telling them, God doesn't have to swear and he doesn't have to make promises, right? God's word is always faithful. Everything he says he is going to do, he does, and he does it exactly like he says he's going to do. When he swears something and makes promises, it's usually because there's things attached to it that you and I just can't believe. And we have a hard time trusting his word. And he swears things because of us. All his words are as good as an oath. But when God makes an oath, you pay attention. And so again, over and over here, I swore to them I would bring them out of the land. Uh, uh, of Egypt into a land that I had selected for them. This is God's land flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. And I said to them, and look at this, cast away each of you the detestable things of his eyes and do not defile yourself with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me. They were not willing to listen to me. They did not cast away the detestable things of their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name, which is always what he does. They'll be redeemed for the sake of his name. They'll be redeemed because of who he is and for the faithfulness of his own character, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I had made myself known to them by bringing them out of the land of Egypt. He goes on to say, in the wilderness. So then I took them out of the land of Egypt, and I brought them into the wilderness, into the desert, and I gave them my statutes. This is talking about at Horeb, Mount Sinai. He says, and informed them of my ordinances, by which if a man observes them, he will live. We just read that. That's Deuteronomy 4.1 right there. You observe these, you keep and listen and do these, you will live. Also, I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know I am the Lord who sanctifies them. But... The house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes. They rejected my ordinances, by which if a man observes them, he will live. And my, my Sabbaths they greatly profaned. And then I resolved to pour out my wrath on them in the wilderness to annihilate them. But I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, before whose sight I had brought them out. Every time. He had revealed himself. He had made himself known. He made himself known in Egypt. So to not profane his name, he didn't destroy Israel. He made himself known when he brought them through the Red Sea. So not to profane his name, he did not destroy Israel. He says, but, he says, also I swore to them in the wilderness, I would not bring them into the land. We just watched that. That's the first generation, which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands, because they rejected my ordinances. And as for my statutes, they did not walk in them, even as they profaned my Sabbaths. For their heart continually went after their idols. Yet... My eye spared them rather than destroying them, and I did not cause their annihilation in the wilderness. Now we're on the plains of Moab. This is 
hundreds of years in the future telling exactly what's happening when we're reading Deuteronomy. So I said to their children in the wilderness, do not walk in the statutes of your fathers or keep their ordinances or defy yourself with idols. Again, that's, that's what we're reading. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes. Keep my ordinances and observe them. Sanctify my Sabbaths and they shall be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But, and this is, this is now future for where we're at in Deuteronomy, the, ch- the, the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes, nor were they careful to observe my ordinances, by which if a man observes them, he will live. They profane my Sabbaths, so I resolved to pour out my wrath on them, to accomplish my anger against them in the wilderness. But I withdrew my hand and acted for the sake of my name. I'm sorry. This is, this is I think, what they did on the plains of Moab uh, with uh, attaching themselves to Baal of Peor. He says that it should not be profane the side of the nations in whose sight I have brought them out. I swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them among the lands. We just read that. Because they had not observed my ordinances, but had rejected my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths. And their eyes were on the idols of their fathers. I also gave them statutes that were not good and ordinances which they could not live by and pronounced them unclean because of their gifts in that they caused all their firstborn to pass through the fire so that I might make them desolate in order that, that they might know that I am the Lord. He goes on to say, Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Yet in this your fathers have blasphemed me by acting treacherously against me when I have brought them into the land, which I swore to give to them. Then they saw every high hill, every leafy tree, and they offered their sacrifices, and there they presented the provocation of their offering. There they also made uh, their soothing aroma, which they poured out, uh, and there they poured out their drink offerings. Then I said to them, What is the high place which you go? So its name is called Bama to this day. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, will you defy yourselves after the manner of your fathers and play the harlot with all after their detestable things? When you offer your gifts, when you cause your sons to pass through the fire, you are defiling yourselves with idols to this day. And shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel? As I live, declares the Lord, I will not be inquired of by you. What comes into your mind will not come about. When you say we will be like the nations, like the tribes of the land, serving wood and stone. So even up into their, their um, being kicked out of the land, they're in Babylon. And he's saying, I won't be sought by you while you're, you're still worshiping and serving idols. He says, as I live, declares the Lord, surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with the wrath poured out, I shall be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples. And gather you from the lands where you are scattered. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, which is where I think they are currently, and I will enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. And look at this. I will make you pass under the rod. I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge from you the rebels and those who transgress against me. And I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn. And they will not enter the land of Israel. Thus you know that I am the Lord. So he will continue to punish those who are serving the idols of the the nations as they are now. But he says, as for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go go serve everyone his idols. But later... You will surely listen to me, and my holy name you will profane no longer, with your gifts and with your idols. For on my holy mountain, on the high mountain of Israel, declares the Lord God, there the whole house of Israel, all of them, will serve me in the land, 
There I will accept them, and there I will seek your contributions and the choices of your gifts with all your holy things. As a soothing aroma, I will accept you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered, and I will prove myself holy among you in the sight of the nations. And you will know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, into the land which I swore to give to your forefathers. There you will remember your ways and all your deeds, which you have defiled yourselves. You will loathe yourself in your own sight for all the evil things you have done. And then you will know that I am the Lord when I have dealt with you for my name's sake, not according to your evil ways or according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. He says, oh, that's it, (laughs) declares the Lord. (laughs) So all that being said, this is going to continue to happen. That's the whole history, both before they made it to the plains of Moab, while they're at the plains of Moab, when they go into the land, all of that, they're always going to have idols in their life. They're always going to reject him. They're always going to abhor his ordinances. And he is going to punish them through the curse that he's already laid out because of their disobedience and their forsaking him. Yet he can't be unfaithful to what he swore to Abraham and what he's going to eventually swear to both David and his house and then through the new covenant promise that he makes uh, in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel and in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. But the scattering and the regathering of Israel has been foretold by God. Uh, both his recompense and his redemption are part of his oath to Israel. Where they are right now is him being faithful to his word. Them being scattered right now is him being faithful to his word. Them serving idols right now is still him being faithful to his word. But their future redemption and repentance and, and, and bringing them back to the land of Israel is him being faithful to his word. Their regathering is conditioned. Um, uh, well, let me say it this way. Their, their being regathered is conditioned on his faithfulness. He has to do it. But on, if you want to look at it from the human perspective, their regathering is conditioned on their repentance and on their acceptance of him on their wholehearted belief in what he has said and them returning to him and repenting of their sin. Again, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but Deuteronomy 29, Deuteronomy 30, we're going to get there, but over and over and over he talks about it. The generations to come, they're going to, the, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll see, they'll come from distant lands, they'll see the plagues, the land, the disease, the Lord has afflicted it. Um, again, I'll have to do this when we get there because I could read this all day long. But basically he's going to talk about the, the land, he's going to destroy the land. It's going to look like Sodom and Gomorrah. People are going to come in and be like, what happened? And, and the whole testimony is they rejected their God. And this is part of what he swore that he would do. They forsook the covenant. He brought them out of the land of Egypt. They came here and they forsook him, served idols. So he brought about every curse that's written in the book. He uprooted them for land. He cast them into another land. Again, we'll get to this when we get there. When all these things come upon you, he says, the blessing and the curse, which I set before you, and you call them to mind, in all the nations where the Lord has banished you, and you return to the Lord, there it is again, and obey him with all your heart and soul, which I've commanded you today. The Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again for, again, from all the peoples where the Lord has scattered you. And this is the coolest part. Look at this. He says, if your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will bring you back. The Lord, your God, will bring you into the land. This is being said on the plains of Moab in the third sermon that we're going to get to over and over and over. I will, I will, I will. He says, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. But it's, this is what must happen. The Lord, your God, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants 
in order to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. It's the same thing we're talking about here. Their existence and their living in the land, you can call it spiritual living and physical living, is conditioned on the Lord doing something to their heart so that they will repent, so that they will believe in God. This whole circumcision of the heart is new covenant language. This is all based on what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And Israel must repent. And they will be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And through that redemption and the filling of his spirit, they will recognize that he is their Lord and they will repent and he will bring them back into the land. And Deuteronomy 29 30 is all about that. We'll talk about it when we get there. But before we close here today, I want to take you to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, 9 through 14. He says this. For I know the plans I have for you. It doesn't matter what you think the plans are. It doesn't matter what, you know, we're going to, we mess up plans all the time, especially when it comes to prophecy. But God knows the plans that he has for Israel, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. When you go out and you buy your next little plaque or t-shirt that has this verse on it, you're talking about Israel. Do you understand that? It's not about you. Those are not plans for you. Now, again, you will receive the benefit of the blessing of those plans because you are the church and you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But I just saw this plaque and I was like, you should buy it and then put Israel at the bottom. Like that's the, that's, the name, that's the name attached to that promise. It's for Israel. He says, I have plans to prosper you and a future and a hope. He says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. There's going to be a time where he does listen to their prayers and he does accept their worship and he does uh, 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 bring them in. He says, you will seek me and you will find me. You will search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place where I sent you into exile. It's a Oh, yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> like, she's, she's, in particular, she'll come back. <laughs> 31, 31 to 37. Again, all the new covenant promises, all the new covenant promises that will come through the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and then him returning and making all these things, all the new covenant promises are attached to Abrahamic covenant promises, to Davidic covenant promises. Again, them coming back to the land is attached now to Jesus Christ bringing them back. In, in Jeremiah 31, the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Again, it doesn't say the church. Yes, we've been grafted in. Yes, we're part of the new covenant. But he made this covenant with Israel and with Judah. He says, not like the covenant I made with your fathers in the day I took them from the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That's what we're talking about here, the Mosaic covenant, the Ten Commandments, the law. He says, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this covenant, the new covenant, which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. Here's the heart stuff. I will write it on their heart, and I will be their God. They shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their, and their sin I will remember no more. Again, God's going to do something to their heart to make it possible for them to repent, and he is going to uh, uh, write his law in their heart uh, and change them. And he goes on to say at the very end of Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 31, Thus says the Lord, who gives the Son... For light by day and the fixed word of the moon, the stars, light by night, who stirs up the sea so that the waves may roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order, 
If, if created order uh, departs from before me, declares the Lord, which it won't, then the offspring of Israel will also cease from being a nation before me forever, which they won't. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured, which they can't, and the foundations of the earth searched out below, which they can't, then also I, will, I, I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel, which he can't, for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Again, these promises are based on his faithfulness, and he is basically saying it is not possible for Israel to cease to be a nation before me. He says the same thing in Jeremiah 32. Again, in the midst of the new covenant promises, behold, I will gather them out from all the lands to which I have driven them in my anger. And in my wrath and in my indignation, I will bring them back to this place. I will make them dwell in safety. They shall be my people. I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always. Again, the fear of the Lord will be instilled in them as he circumcises and changes their heart so that they return and repent and recognize him as their Lord and their God. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will not turn away from them to do them good. I will put the fear of me in their hearts so they will not turn away from me. I will rejoice over them to do them good and will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. Think about that. I mean, God is saying, all my heart and all my soul, this is my desire and it will happen. He loves his bride, Israel. For thus says the Lord, just as I brought all this great disaster on this people, I am going to bring on them all the good that I am promising to them. Again, over and over and over. Ezekiel 11, same thing. Thus says the Lord, I will gather you from the peoples assembled uh, and assemble you out from the countries among which you have been scattered. I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove all its detestable things and all its abominations. I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit within them. I will take the heart of stone. Again, this is the whole explanation of the circumcision of their heart that makes it possible for them to repent. I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes, keep my ordinances, and do them. Then they will be my people, and I shall be their God. God will, God will do heart surgery on the nation of Israel, and he will make it possible for them to repent. Again, He says to them, cast away your transgressions, make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit, O house of Israel. I have no pleasure when anyone dies, declares the Lord, therefore repent and live. So he's calling them to repentance. And Ezekiel 36, again, right in the middle of the new covenant stuff, he says, therefore say to the house of Israel, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy amongst your sight. He goes on to say, I will take you from the nations. I will gather you from all the lands. I will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and your idols. I will give you a new heart a new spirit. I will remove the heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. You will be careful to observe my ordinance. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. So you will be my people. I will be your God. Again, these are all new covenant promises that the Lord has sworn to uphold and to give to Israel. Yes, through what Christ has done and through the leading of Christ in doing these things. And even Jesus, he said, Jesus himself said when he was here on this earth, Jerusalem who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often, this is God's will, this is his desire. How long has God desired to gather Israel back together? 
to bring her back into the land. As he says here, uh, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There will come a day, this is, and that's referring to Psalm 118, where basically Israel recognizes their Messiah. They, they recognize who Jesus Christ is. There will be a repentance. There will be a return. They will recognize who their true king is, and he will gather them. Like a hen gathers her chicks, he'll bring them back into the land. And he is long for that day. He himself said it when he was here on earth, and that day must come. So, again, I know that was a lot, but it's so good, and there's so much more to it. Um, but they, they have to come back to the land. There has to be a future for Israel. Finally, and this is going to be real quick, there's a reminder of the former days. He says, indeed, ask now concerning the former days, which were before you since the day God created man on earth, and inquire from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything been done like this great thing, or has anything been heard like it? The answer is no. Has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire as you have heard it and survived, like in Mount Sinai? No. Or has, any God, or has a God tried to go take for himself a nation from within another nation by trials and by signs and wonders and by war and by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm and by great terrors as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? The answer is no. He says, to you it was shown that you might know the Lord. He is God. There is no other besides him. Out of the heavens he let you hear his voice to discipline you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire. And you heard his words from the midst of the fire because he loved your fathers. That's why all this happened. It's only happened once and it'll never happen again. Well, uh, because you have loved your fathers. He says he chose their descendants after them. And he personally brought you from Egypt by his great power, driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in and to give you their land for an inheritance as it is today. Know therefore today, so this is him on the plains of Moab, and take it to your heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven and above, above and on earth below. There is no other. And this is how he concludes the sermon. So you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I am giving you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may live long on the land, which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. So, their obedience will cause them to live long. He foretells that they will disobey and they won't live long. But it is their land for all time. And there is a future. This is the greatness of God's choosing and delivering Israel. And he asks them all these rhetorical questions. The obvious answer to all the questions he asks them is no. The him creating the nation within a nation, bringing them out through the, the plagues and the signs and the wonders, parting the Red Sea, showing up on Mount Sinai in fire and darkness, giving them his words, speaking audibly. They see the glory of God leading them through the desert. All that stuff is unprecedented. All of that stuff is unparalleled and unimaginable. It is a miracle. And since creation, no miracle of God compares to his choosing of Israel to this point. God formed a nation within a nation, delivered them, destroyed their enemies, brought them to a desolate place in the desert. He met them in his glory. He spoke audibly from the fire, disclosed his character and his will and his commands. The only thing that will rival that miracle is when he does it again. And he says he's going to do it again, but he's going to do it in a more miraculous way. And it's going to happen 
through the righteous branch, the stem of Jesse, the one that comes from David, Jesus Christ himself will accomplish the next redemption or the next uh, uh, gathering of Israel. And that's what he says in Jeremiah 23. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. That is Jesus Christ. He will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Look at this. This is so cool. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the north land and from all the countries where I had driven them, then they will live on their own soil. All of us will proclaim his glory and his awesomeness when he brings them back from the lands. Again, he says, therefore, in Jeremiah 16, behold, days are coming when it will no longer be said as the Lord lives who brought the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north, from all the countries where he banished them, I will restore them to their own land, which I gave to their fathers. Again, he has not done that yet. The world is not glorifying God because of the greatness of the redemption and the regathering of Israel. Even that little remnant that came back, they were wiped out because of their disobedience. There's a future. And this is cool. He gives a little snippet, I think, here of the method about how it's going to happen. Look what he says. I'm going to send out many fishermen. That sounds familiar, right? You're going to be fishers of men. Jesus is going to raise up disciples to go out and to fish. And yes, it's for Gentiles. And yes, it's for the church. But part of the job of the church, I believe is to find the people of Israel and to proclaim the gospel to the people of Israel so the people of Israel recognize their Messiah. And at some point in the future, through the, the working of Christ as he returns, there will be repentance. But he says, I'm going to send fishermen. To, and he says, they will fish for Israel. And afterwards, I'm going to send hunters. And they will hunt. Hill from the from my face, nor is there iniquity concealed from my eyes. The Lord sees all of his children scattered around the world right now. The Lord knows where every Israelite is on the planet at this time. And the Lord will hunt for them and fish for them. And Christ himself will bring them back into the land of Israel. And they will be in the land forever. This is the promise that he has given to the nation of Israel. And again, he says, I will restore the fortunes of Jacob. I will have mercy on the whole house of Israel. When I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the lands of their enemies, he says, then they will know that I am the Lord because I made them go into exile among the nations and then gathered them again to their own land. And I will leave none of them there any longer. And I will not hide my face from them any longer. I will have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord. Their regathering is directly tied to the new covenant promises that come only through the blood of Jesus Christ. And there will be a future for the house of Israel. So all that being said, that's the end of the first sermon. That's the end of the the, the first exposition of Moses there on the plains of Moab. Uh, And he basically tells them in that, uh, to to listen, to keep, and to obey his word. Uh, They won't do that, and they'll be kicked out of the land very soon. But he will regather them, and he'll do that. When he circumcises their heart, he gives them a new heart, and he himself brings them back into the land because he is faithful 
uh, for, to, to do what he has said he will do. And he will do, he's given them the land to live on for all time. When we come back next week, we'll talk about the little thing in the middle, the, the cities of refuge, and then we jump right back into sermon number two. So thank you. I know it was a long one. I know there's a lot there. This is such good stuff. We'll talk more about it in Deuteronomy 29 and 30. Uh, but I just think it's so cool that even before they go in to inherit the land, he tells them the whole future and how he's going to bring them back into the land, which if you think about that, that's, that's miraculous. Um, and uh, yeah, so let me pray for us.